Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. are familiar with to some extent, to quite an extent, is an event, one of the most noteworthy events from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-Isra mi'raj I'm going to talk more so today about what it exactly represents and what it means and how we can also derive lessons and benefit from this particular moment from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. But at the same time, just to be able to understand exactly when and where and how it occurred, Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj occurred in the 11th year of prophethood. The 11th year of prophethood. That means 11 years after the start of the mission and the message of the Prophet ﷺ, 11 years from the moment of Iqra. Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj occurred according to the majority of the scholars, majority of the historians. It occurred in the month of Rajab. And majority of the historians are of the opinion that it occurred at the end of the month of Rajab. Which is part of the reason why we are gathering here tonight. To try to understand exactly when it occurred while we talk about the significance of it. We use these words a lot, al-Isra'u wal-Mi'raj, but to understand exactly what they mean, al-Isra' is a word in the Arabic language which means to travel by night, to travel a long distance at nighttime, to undertake a journey at nighttime. Al-Mi'raj refers to ascension. The word in English is ascension, to ascend, to move straight upwards from Uruj. And so that is when it occurred, that it occurred in the 11th year of the mission of the Prophet ﷺ. According to most, it occurred towards the end of the month of Rajab. 27th of Rajab is quite popularly known. And what it means, it means to travel by night and then ascend into the heavens. More importantly... And I'll go ahead and also mention this here. Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, there is a lot of detail that we have about this event from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Just to give you one reference, um, the most extensive and prolific work on the life of the Prophet ﷺ is a 13-volume work called Subulul Huda wal-Rashad. And it was written by Alama al-Salihi, and in that work, when it comes to Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj, 
he has written 145 pages just on this event. So that's how extensive it is. That's how much detail there is. If you go to the Sira podcast, I covered it in seven sessions, each session being a little longer than an hour. So there's over seven hours of just detail going through this entire event and everything that transpired in this event and everything the Prophet ﷺ experienced and witnessed on this night. Obviously, we don't have that kind of time to go through that much detail. And I don't think that that would be best for us to focus on here in this forum. Um, it'll just become like very busy with a lot of details and um, it'll be hard to kind of grasp exactly what we're talking about. We will touch on some of the details, but what I would prefer to do largely is focus on what exactly was the circumstance of the Prophet ﷺ? What did this night mean and represent for the Prophet ﷺ? And then subsequently, what can we take and derive from this particular event, from the life of the Prophet ﷺ? So let's exactly understand where the Prophet ﷺ is at this particular moment. If we say it's in the 11th year of Prophethood, Nubuwa, what has the Prophet ﷺ been through? He has been through over a decade of preaching and teaching the message of Islam. And he has been through a decade of denial, opposition, and persecution, and, and complete and utter disregard and disrespect for his mission and his message. To understand a snapshot of what that was like, they spent three years isolated, boycott in the Shi'ab of Abi Talib outside the city of Mecca where they were being starved to death. No one could interact with them, no one could do business with them and they were being completely isolated and they were being starved and suffocated to death. He has gone through three years of that. The Prophet ﷺ has had to, with a very heavy heart, send nearly a hundred of his followers, including his own family members, his own daughter, Ruqayya radiallahu ta'ala anha, and her husband, um, Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he has had to send away nearly a hundred of his followers, including his most beloved family members, into seeking asylum and refuge in East Africa. The Prophet ﷺ has witnessed his companions being tortured, murdered, in cold blood and broad daylight in the streets of Mecca. Relentless, vicious, ruthless. And then, most recently, the Prophet ﷺ has suffered the loss of who can easily be described as the most important person in his life. And that was his wife of 25 years, the mother of his children, the first person to believe in him. The strongest of his supporters, Khadija al-Kubra radiallahu ta'ala anha, she passed away. And the Prophet ﷺ lost such a pillar that he relied upon and that he sought strength from. Near, merely three weeks later, the Prophet ﷺ suffered the loss of the other most important person in his life, and that was his uncle Abu Talib. Abu Talib was the man, he was the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, but that does not, that word uncle doesn't even begin to capture what he means to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ, as we know, to review that lesson, 
His, his father passed away before he was born, while his mother was pregnant with him. His mother passed away when he was only six years old. His grandfather, who was taking care of him, passed away two years later when the Prophet ﷺ was eight years old. From that point on forward, from the age of eight, the person who took care of him, the person who raised him, the person who looked after him, who supported him, was Abu Talib. And when the Prophet ﷺ received the message from Allah, اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقْ Abu Talib, while not accepting or believing in this message, supported the Prophet ﷺ. He supported the Prophet ﷺ, he defended the Prophet ﷺ, and he aided the Prophet ﷺ, and he kept his enemies at bay. And Abu Talib passed away. Back to back. And... The death of Abu Talib is a particularly very heartbreaking moment from the life of the Prophet ﷺ, where the Prophet ﷺ sat by the side of his bed and he begged and pleaded with him. He urged him, Kalimatan, Say the words just once, and if you say them, I will vouch for you on the day of resurrection, on the day of judgment. He wanted him to embrace the religion, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. And Abu Talib said to the Prophet Muttalib, that I cannot leave the religion of my forefathers, the way of my forefathers. And he passed away without accepting the message of the Prophet The Prophet was so devastated so heartbroken that Allah had to console him in the Qur'an. إِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ أَحْبَبْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءُ Don't second guess yourself, don't question yourself, don't doubt yourself. There was nothing more you could do. You cannot guide whom you have loved. Allah guides whomsoever He wills. This was not in your hands. There was nothing you could do. And on top of that, the passing of Abu Talib also removed a major obstacle for the people of Mecca when it came to the persecution of the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. It gave them, it made it open season. And there's a narration that describes that a little while after Abu Talib had died, the Prophet ﷺ was walking in Mecca and one of the just, you know, young troublemakers from the streets of Mecca walked up to the Prophet ﷺ and grabbed him by his shirt and started to speak to him so rudely and with profanity, so obscenely he spoke to him. And then he said to the Prophet ﷺ that Abu Talib is dead, who will protect you now? And then the Prophet ﷺ, understanding how desperate the situation in Mecca had become, he traveled to the second largest city in Arabia at that time after Mecca, home to the second largest tribe after Quraysh, which was Ta'if and the tribe of Banu Thaqif. And the Prophet ﷺ traveled there by himself. He had Zayd ibn Haritha with him. And they went there and the Prophet ﷺ went to the leadership to try to reason with them that I have this message that is good for your people. They rejected the Prophet ﷺ, disrespected him. And then when the Prophet ﷺ tried to leave their city quietly, peacefully, they set, they set all the troublemakers in their city after the Prophet 
They unleashed them upon him like wild dogs. And they started to stone the Prophet They threw rocks at him. They stoned him. They stoned him all the way from the city of Ta'if to a place called Qadnul Manazil. And some of the locals at that time referred to it as Qadnul Tha'alib. I've been to that place. It is three miles outside of Ta'if. For three miles they threw rocks at him. And he bled so much from his body that his blood poured into his sandals. His sandals became soaked with his blood and dried and became glued to his feet. That Zayd bin Haritha had to rip them off the feet of the Prophet And the Prophet made dua at that time. Very famous, beautiful dua where he turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sought refuge in Allah. Allahumma ashku ilayka du'fa quwwati. Oh Allah, I complain to you of nothing else but my own weakness. Wa qillata hilati. I complain to you of my lack of resources. Wa hawani ala nas. And that I did not command enough respect in the eyes of these people. Ya arhamar rahimin. Anta rabbi. You are the Lord, the master, the caretaker of the weak, the downfallen, the downtrodden. And you are my Lord and my master and my caretaker. Who would you leave me to? To a ruthless creature who would violate me or to my enemy? And let him have his way with me. Even if that's the case, so Allah, as long as you are not angry or upset with me, I don't care what these people do to me. And then he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that oh Allah, I ask you, binuri wajhik, with your light, your guidance, your blessing. That can fix all the problems of this world and the next. Allah yanzila biya sakhatuk. Allah yanzila biya ghadabuk. That Allah, you not be angry with me and you not be upset with me. I will continue to serve you until you are pleased with me. And there's no ability to do good or strength to fight evil unless you grant it, O oh Allah. He made this dua. And then he was given the opportunity. Jibreel came to him, brought the angels responsible for the mountains, and said, Ya Rasulullah, if you give the word, if you issue the command, Allah will cause these mountains on either side of this town to merge into one another, crushing and burying and erasing these people. But the Prophet he made the dua, that no, I don't want that. And I pray and I hope that they will accept Islam. And if they even don't, then Allah will bring forth someone from their children and their progeny who would believe. Who would believe and who would accept that message. The Prophet ﷺ went through this event. Then when he tried to go back home, okay, when somebody has a terrible experience, they go back home. And at the very least, you have some relief at home. When he tried to go back home, the people of Ta'if sent the word to the people of Mecca saying, Muhammad, 
sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he came here to our town to ally with us against you. They slandered the Prophet ﷺ and tried to say that he was a traitor. That he went there to fight against Makkah. And they blocked him from entering and they said, if he enters, we will arrest him and we will try him for treason and execute him. And the Prophet ﷺ had to spend three days. This was the only time in his life he ever went back to the cave of Hira after receiving that revelation. He went back to the cave of Hira and he spent three days there until he was finally able to receive some protection and security and he was able to go back home to Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ had been, to, been through so much. And the Prophet ﷺ never had a quote-unquote low point. He never lost an ounce of his faith in Allah, his trust in Allah. But in terms of circumstances, this is what we would describe as a very, very difficult, tragic time. It's hard to imagine something more tragic than this. And at that particular moment, the Prophet ﷺ tells us that one night he went home and he laid down in his home. He says that the roof of my home, it miraculously opened up the ceiling. And I was commanded to go to the Kaaba. He went to the Haram, where the Kaaba is, the Hatim, on the side of the Kaaba, that was originally a part of the Kaaba. The Prophet ﷺ went there, and he was ordered to lay down there in the Hatim. And he laid down there. And Jibreel and Mikail, alayhim salam the angels of Allah, they came to the Prophet ﷺ. And he said, فَشَقَّ مَا بَيْنَ هَذِهِ إِلَى هَذِهِ They opened the chest of the Prophet ﷺ. And then they washed the heart of the Prophet ﷺ. مَمْلُوءًا إِيمَانًا That they washed the heart of the Prophet ﷺ and filled his chest with faith, with light, with nur, with strength, with conviction. And then they asked the Prophet ﷺ, they presented, Jibreel ﷺ presented to the Prophet ﷺ an animal. The Prophet ﷺ says that it was a white animal, dabbatin abyad, dun al-baghali wa fawq al-himar. It was smaller than a mule, but larger than a donkey. And it was white. And it was presented to the Prophet ﷺ and he was asked, he was informed that it was the buraq. And he was asked to ride the animal. And the Prophet ﷺ says, يَضَعُوا خَطْوَهُ عِنْدَ أَقْسَى تَرْفِهِ Its first step landed as far as that the eye could see. It moved at the speed of light. And Jibreel was alongside of the Prophet And then the animal stops. Within moments, within seconds, the animal stops. And the Prophet was requested to get down and pray. And after the Prophet prayed two rak'ahs, 
And then when he got back onto the animal, Jibreel salam asked the Prophet do you know where you just prayed? And he said, I don't. He said, you prayed in a beautiful place, Ardun Tayyiba, wa ilayhi al-muhajar. And one day someone will move here. It was Medina. And then the Prophet ﷺ, the animal moved again and it stopped very quickly. And again, the Prophet ﷺ was requested to pray. Jibreel ﷺ said, do you know where you prayed? And he said, no, I don't. He said, you prayed at the place where Musa salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to Musa salam. Then he got on the animal and within again a couple of moments, the animal stops. And the Prophet is requested to pray. And he said, do you know where you just prayed? The Prophet said, no, I do not. And he said that you, were, you just prayed at the place where one of the greatest miracles that humanity has ever witnessed, the birth of Isa salam. You just prayed at that place. And along this journey, the Prophet wasallam, as Allah mentions in the Qur'an, that we showed him our signs. We showed him our signs. Al-Mashahid, Al-Ayat. The Prophet ﷺ was able to see different things miraculously. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed him these different things. Some of them were very difficult. Some of them were very heavy. And some of them were very remarkable. One of the things that the Prophet ﷺ saw that he witnessed was that there was this remarkable fragrance coming from one place. And the Prophet ﷺ asked, Ya Jibreel, ma What is this remarkable fragrance? I've never smelled anything like this. And Jibreel ﷺ informs the Prophet ﷺ, هَذِهِ رَائِحَةُ مَاشِطَةِ إِبْنَةِ فِرْعَوْنِ وَأُولَادِهَا Fir'aun, the great tyrant, he, his daughter had a chambermaid, a servant girl. And she believed in the message of Musa And one time, the daughter hears the maid say, Bismillah, the name of Allah. And so she immediately informs her father, and Fir'aun decides to make, her an make an example out of her. That in my palace, you defy me? And he tortured her to leave her faith. And she said no, she refused. She had children, small children. Fir'aun brings the children and he threatens to burn them alive in front of her. And as a mother, her heart is heavy. And she starts to shake and waver a bit, as anyone would. And this was one of those instances where miraculously, her baby speaks, says, Mother, do not be afraid. Allah will take care of us. That on the other side of this fire, paradise awaits us. And Fir'aun murdered all of them, the whole family. And... Jibreel tells the Prophet ﷺ that this 
is where the remains of her and her family are. And this is the fragrance that you are experiencing. The Prophet sees this example. This is miraculous. This doesn't make sense in terms of the worldly realm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was disclosing to him matters of the unseen. And the Prophet sees that there are these people, they go, they have a seed in their hand, they go to the ground, and they put the seed in the ground, and they cover it with dirt. As soon as they cover it with dirt, instantaneously the seed sprouts, and a whole tree grows out of it, and immediately grows fruits. A miracle. And he says to Jibreel, what is this? And Jibreel السلام, says to the Prophet وسلم, that these are the people who strive in the way of Allah for the truth. That their smallest, most humble efforts are rewarded in this way by Allah. Their effort could be as small as a seed. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give them their reward like this tree laden with fruits. So everything that we're seeing right now, going back to remember the situation of the Prophet ﷺ, such a difficult moment in his life. So many challenges, tragedies. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows the Prophet ﷺ that Allah has something better for you. What is about to come is better than what has proceeded. And he shows him Medina. And then the Prophet ﷺ is able to pray at the place where Allah spoke to Musa. And Isa ﷺ was born without a father to, remind, to connect him, to remind all of us of the power of Allah ﷻ. And then the Prophet ﷺ is able to see that he's able to experience that remarkable fragrance of someone who made such a remarkable, unbelievable sacrifice for the sake of Allah. That look at their reward in the hereafter. That Allah shows the Prophet ﷺ and we are able to now understand this. That when someone strives for the sake of Allah, they strive for the truth. They strive for what is correct. Then this is how Allah will multiply and grow their rewards and their khair. But at the same time, the Prophet ﷺ was shown some other things that are very heavy. The Prophet ﷺ saw that there's some people that their heads are being smashed, crushed with these big rocks. And after their head is completely smashed and crushed, that returns, it returns back to its original form. And then that happens over and over and over and over and over again repeatedly. And he says, Mahada Yajibri, Manha'ula. What is happening? Well, who are these people? Why is this happening to them? And Jibreel says, Ha'ula illadina tatathaqalu ru'usuhum inda salah. These are the people who are too busy and occupied with their own lives to make time for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They didn't have time to pray. They didn't have time 
for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is their punishment till the day of judgment. Then he saw some people that they were eating these vile, nasty things. And when they would eat them, it would just destroy them and come out the other side. And it just kept on going on and on and on and on and on. And he said, Man ha'ulaga Jibreel? Who are these people? Why is this happening to them? And he said, These are the people that would not give their zakat. Allah blessed them. Allah gave them wealth. And there were people that were in need, but they neglected their responsibility and they would not give their charity. He saw that there were some people who would gather together all of this like firewood. They were gathering wood and they would keep on gathering it and gathering it and gathering it to the point where it would become so heavy and they would keep carrying it that eventually it would crush them. It would literally pulverize them under its weight. He said, Man Mahada, what is this? And he said, These are the people who were trusted by others. Amana. They were trusted by others and they betrayed the trust of people. And similarly, the Prophet ﷺ was shown some other really horrific scenarios. People who back, used to backbite about other people. People who would slander other people. He witnessed all these horrific things. And this was once again a reminder about our responsibilities and what we need to be mindful of. And what our duties and our responsibilities to Allah are. And then, finally, they arrive at Al-Quds, Jerusalem. And they arrive at Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. As Allah mentions in the Quran, Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi laylam min al-Masjid al-Harami ila al-Masjid al-Aqsa. Alladhi barakna hawlahu. That... All glory and perfection belongs to Allah. He is the one who took his chosen servant, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from al-Masjid al-Haram in Mecca to al-Masjid al-Aqsa in Jerusalem. And that place, al-Masjid al-Aqsa, Allah says, we have blessed the entire region around it. The Prophet sallallahu arrives there. And there is a place where Jibreel alayhi salam goes and says, tie the buraq to this place. Every single prophet, the thousands upon thousands of prophets who have come here, they would tie their animal here. And he tied his animal. And then Jibreel led the Prophet to the middle of the compound of Al-Aqsa. When you go there today, we're familiar with some of the sites, the Dome of the Rock, Al-Masjid Al-Qibli, the masjid that's at the, the Qibla direction at the front of the compound. And there's many, many different other structures as well. But Al-Aqsa, the sacred compound, is the entire area is Al-Aqsa. 
The whole thing is sacred. And he takes him there to the front of the compound. And there the Prophet ﷺ was greeted by the souls of all the prophets that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had ever sent. One of the narrations in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad says there are over a hundred thousand prophets that were sent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, that a prophet or a messenger was sent to every single group of people, culminating in the finality of the Prophet And all of those prophet souls were gathered there. And then the Prophet says, And then I was informed that, we, that you will pray now. And the Prophet said, I was asked to lead all the prophets in prayer. And obviously, when we talk about tragedy and pain and suffering, this is an extremely tragic time for our ummah. With the massacre and the genocide of our brothers and sisters in Gaza. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant them victory. And what's remarkable is that Masjid Aqsa, Al-Quds, Al-Ardul Mubarakah, Al-Ardul Muqaddasa, that sacred holy land, that is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the Prophet to give comfort and tranquility to his heart. That is where Allah took the Prophet when he needed the strength to continue. It is the place of that strength, it is a place of tranquility. And that's why we see that no matter what is unleashed and afflicted upon our brothers and sisters there, we see that strength and tranquility, the dignity that they manifest, that they model, that they represent. And this goes all the way back to that moment at the time of the Prophet Allah took the Prophet there at his most difficult moment because that is a place of strength. The Prophet ﷺ led all the Prophets in prayer there. And then, Jibreel ﷺ, he takes the Prophet ﷺ, and he says that from here, now you will ascend. And from there, the Prophet ﷺ and Jibreel ﷺ, they ascended upwards into the heavens. And when they ascended up, up into the heavens, when they reached the gates of leaving this worldly realm, like this whole universe as we know it, they're leaving the worldly realm. Jibreel he knocks at the gate and the angels in an amount that cannot be enumerated are waiting there. And they asked Jibreel who is with you? And he says, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And they ask, is it time? Is it time? They've been waiting for this moment, for Allah knows how long. And he says, yes, now is the time. And the gates open, and they welcome the Prophet sallallahu 
And from there Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes the Prophet on this miraculous journey where he passes through the seven stages of the heavens. This is outside of this worldly realm. This is the realm of the unseen. Something we can't even comprehend. And they arrive at the first stage of the heavens. And there the Prophet is greeted by Adam The father of all of humanity. And he welcomes and he greets the Prophet And he makes dua for the Prophet And from there they proceed. And they reach the second stage of the heavens. And there the Prophet is greeted by Yahya and Isa ibn Maryam And they welcome and they greet the Prophet They honor the Prophet They make dua for the Prophet And then the Prophet proceeds And they arrive at the third stage of the heavens Where the Prophet is met and greeted by Yusuf And he is greeted by him and welcomed by him all of this, think about this. This is reaffirming for the Prophet ﷺ that you are not alone in this struggle. You are not alone in this struggle. These are all your brothers in prophethood who went through this before you, who survived all of this, everything that they went through. And he prays with them, he leads them in prayer, and now he's meeting them one after another. And then the fourth stage of the heavens. He's greeted by Idris salam, one of the prophets of old, one of the earliest of the prophets, after Adam salam, but before Nuh salam. And he greets him and he welcomes him. He makes dua for him. And then the Prophet salam, proceeds to the fifth stage of the heavens, where he is greeted by Harun salam. The Prophet Harun salam, welcomes and greets the Prophet salam, honors him. And then the sixth stage of the heavens, where the Prophet salam, is welcomed and greeted by and honored by Musa. Salam. And there's a very interesting moment when the Prophet salam, is departing from there. Musa salam, looks very sad. One of the angels asks Musa, salam, What makes you sad? This is a joyous occasion. Why are you sad? And he said, I'm sad on my own people. Because he, Muhammad Rasulullah his time in the world is so short. But so much of his ummah will go to paradise. And will follow him into Jannah. But most of my people did not listen to me. And then the Prophet is welcomed and greeted and honored and hosted on the seventh stage of the heavens by none other than his forefather, Ibrahim a.s. And his interaction with Ibrahim a.s. is so beautiful that he's reminded in that moment of the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that put your faith and trust in Allah. We are being reminded to put our faith and trust in Allah Put our faith and trust in Allah. No one has any idea of the armies of Allah except for Him. But trust Allah. That Ibrahim shows the Prophet a place called Al Baytul Ma'mur, 
it is a reflection of the Kaaba in the heavens. It is the Kaaba of the heavens. And Ibrahim shows the Prophet that 70,000 angels do tawaf here every single day. And after an angel has been given the opportunity to do tawaf here, they will never have that opportunity ever again for eternity. 70,000 new angels do tawaf here every day. You can't even do the math. This is the army of Allah. This is the power of Allah. The qudra of Allah. This is what we believe in. He shows the Prophet wasallam that the martyrs the martyrs, the people who are killed unjustly for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that their souls until the day of judgment, that they are placed inside of these green birds that are flying around in paradise, eating and flying and enjoying themselves until the day of judgment and resurrection. He shows the Prophet ﷺ that all the children, subhanAllah, how powerful after what we've been witnessing. All the children who are taken away from their parents, who die while they, while they are young, that they are cared for in paradise and there are special nannies and maids that are created by Allah, the nannies of Jannah of Paradise, that look after them. And all of this, this whole operation, is going on under the supervision of Ibrahim a.s. Ajeeb. Subhanallah. See, that's where the, that's where the strength of a believer comes from. That this is what we believe. That is more real than this dunya. Allah says, This world, the life of this world is game play. It's like a fever dream. This life is the dream. It's a nightmare. It's a pointless kind of like dream. The real life is the life of the hereafter. Ali ibn Abi Talib used to say, People are asleep. When they die is when they really wake up. So, after, and then Ibrahim says to the Prophet that I have some advice for your followers. Ibrahim sent us a message. He said, tell them, Paradise is extremely fertile soil. It's extremely fertile soil. Its water is pure and good. However, it's just a wide, vast, open field. 
meaning there's no trees. The trees need to be planted. And the way that they can plant trees in paradise is by saying, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar. So tell them to make the dhikr of Allah. And every time they make the dhikr of Allah, trees will be planted in paradise. And the hadith of Bukhari tells us about the trees in paradise. لَوْ يَسِيرُ الرَّاكِبُ فِي ظِلِّهَا مِئَةَ عَامٍ لَا يَقْطَعُهَا That if someone rode a horse for a hundred years, they could not cross through the shade cast by that tree. Hadith in Tirmidhi mentions that if a baby camel was born and it started to walk around the trunk of the tree, it would grow old and die before it could go all the way around the tree. Those are the kind of trees planted in paradise. For saying, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar. Then Jibreel alayhi salam takes the Prophet to a very remarkable place. Just nude in light. And there's this brilliant, magnificent, huge tree. The Prophet says, I can't even describe. The leaves of the tree are as huge as these giant clay pots. And all kinds of colors. It's remarkable. And Jibreel stops. And the Prophet is walking and he stops and he looks back at Jibreel and he says, why aren't you coming? And he said, no. I stay here. I don't move forward. You are meant to go further. You are going where no creation has ever gone before. This is your honor. Allah says in the Quran that he went near and then he was pulled even more near. And the distance that remained between them was very minimal. And then it was a private moment between the Prophet and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet said that he went into sujood and the tree closed around the Prophet The Prophet said, then I was in the presence of Allah. And he said that I praised and glorified Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me certain gifts in this moment. Healed my heart. Filled my soul. Some of the gifts that Allah gave to the Prophet to bring back to us. Amongst them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the Prophet Surah Al-Fatiha. The last concluding verses of Surah Al-Baqarah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave certain gifts for this ummah. One of the things the Prophet mentions is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that a gift to the ummah of the Prophet to us is that whenever any one of them, إِذَا هَمَّ أَحَدُهُمْ بِحَسَنَةٍ Whenever any one of them intends to do a good deed, 
a good deed is written for them. وَالْحَسَنَةُ بِعَشْرِ أَمْثَالِهَا And every good deed is multiplied by a minimum of ten. Then if the person follows through with the intention and performs the good deed, another good deed is written for the person. And again, every good deed is multiplied a minimum of ten times. But then if the person intends to do something evil, nothing is written. No sin is written. If the person follows through and commits the evil, only one sin is written for the person. And it is not multiplied. And then, if the person repents or follows it up by doing a good deed, it is wiped away and erased and removed. And they just did a, if they repented or they did a good deed, that in and of itself is good. A good deed is written and every good deed is multiplied ten times. But if a person intends to commit a sin, and then they do not commit the sin, they don't follow through, they don't commit the sin, then a good deed is written for the person because resisting temptation in and of itself is a good deed. The person intended to do something bad, just didn't go through with it. And a good deed will be written for a person. And again, every single good deed is multiplied a minimum of ten times. That this is a gift to the Ummah of the Prophet And then, of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the gift to the Prophet of the daily salawat, the daily prayers. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the Prophet ﷺ 50 prayers in a day. 50 salawat. Fil yawmi wal layla. 50 prayers in a day. The Prophet ﷺ thanks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala profusely for these blessings and these gifts. And then the Prophet ﷺ, the tree, the Prophet ﷺ says, opens up. And he rises from the sujood. Jibreel alayhi salam is waiting for him. And he rejoins Jibreel alayhi salam. And they began to descend through the stages of the heavens. As they are descending, they happen by, they come by once again, Musa alayhi salam. And Musa alayhi salam asks the Prophet sallallahu what did Allah give you? He mentions it. And then he says that Allah gave us 50 prayers in a day. And he says that, that this will be too heavy on your ummah. They will not be able to perform this. فَاسْأَلِ takhfif. Ask Allah to make it less. So the Prophet ﷺ, he goes back. Goes back into sujood. Is in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he asks Allah on our behalf to lighten our burden. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that خَفَّفْتُ عَنْ أُمَّتِكَ بِخَمْسِ صَلَوَاتٍ I remove five prayers from your ummah. So now it's 45 prayers. And then the Prophet ﷺ is coming back and Musa ﷺ says what happened? And he says Allah made it 45 prayers. And he said this is still too much. فَاسْأَلِ التَّخْفِيفِ Ask Allah for less. So the Prophet ﷺ goes back, re-enters into the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and asks for Allah to make things easier on us. 
And Allah again says, I have removed five prayers. Then he comes back and Musa salam says, what's the report? He says, 40 prayers. And he says, that's too much. Ask Allah for ease. And the Prophet goes back. And he asks Allah again. And Allah removes five prayers. And then he's coming back. Descending. Musa says, what happened? He says, 35 prayers. He says, that's too much. So the Prophet goes back. Again asks Allah. Allah decreases it to 30. Once again the Prophet descends. Musa says, what happened? He says, it's 30. He says, that's too much. Then again the Prophet goes back. Asks Allah for more ease on our behalf. Allah makes it 25 prayers in a day. Again he's coming back and Musa says, what happened? He says, it's 25. He said, that's still too much. So the Prophet goes back once again. He asks on our behalf. And Allah makes it 20 prayers. And again he's coming back. Musa says, 20 is too much. So he goes back once again. Once again he asks on our behalf. And Allah makes it 15. And then he's coming back and Musa says, it's still too much. So again he goes back and asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on our behalf once again. Ya Allah, my ummah, please my ummah. And Allah makes it 10. And again he's coming back and Musa says, this is too much. So he comes back again. And again he presents our case before his Lord. And asks Allah to lighten our burden. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it five prayers. And he comes, he's descending and he meets Musa again. He says, what now? And he says, it's five prayers. And he says that, Anajarrabtu ummati. I experienced my ummah. They had two prayers in a day. And they couldn't keep up with that. Even this will be too much. And the Prophet says, no, I'm not going back again. That's enough. And then an announcement is made in the heavens. Khamsa salawat fil yawmi wal Five prayers every day. I have mandated upon the people. And whoever will perform these five prayers will get the reward of 50. And you see, talking about the Prophet going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. We find it tedious talking about it, listening to it. But the Prophet never got tired of going back and forth. And this represents so many beautiful, powerful things that the scholars, they mention. Number one, that's how much the Prophet ﷺ cares about us. That's how much the Prophet ﷺ cared about us. That he kept going back on our behalf, asking on our behalf. His concern for the ummah was so deep in his soul that he kept going back for us. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who knows everything, Wallahu bi kulli shayin alim, nothing happens without the permission, the decree of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, knew in His infinite knowledge and wisdom that it was five prayers. But why decrease it little by little? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted the Prophet coming back to Him again and again and again, repeatedly. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to speak to His beloved over and over again. Exactly how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls us five times a day. Hayya ala salah, hayya ala al-falah. 
There's a hadith Qudsi in Bukhari that when we stand in salah, وَإِذَا قَالَ الْعَبْدُ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ قَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى حَمَدَنِي عَبْدِي When we say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Allah responds to us. My servant is praising me. When we say, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah responds to us. Athna alayya abdi, my slave keeps on praising me. When we say, Maliki yawm ad-deen, Allah responds to us. Majjadani abdi, my servant glorifies me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls us to talk to him. And he kept calling the Prophet ﷺ back over and over and over again. And the Prophet ﷺ was eager to put his head on the ground before Allah and talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over and over again. And that's why what did the Prophet ﷺ tell us? As-salatu mi'arajul mu'min. The salah is the ascension of the believer. When we pray, when we put our face on the ground before Allah, we are sharing that experience that the Prophet ﷺ had when he was in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, an authentic narration that says that this closest the servant is to his Lord is when they are in this position of sujood. That when a servant puts their head into sajda, fi qadamay ar Rahman, that person's head is before ar Rahman, before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the Prophet ﷺ on this journey of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj, he was also shown a glimpse of paradise, he was shown a glimpse of hellfire. And similar to what we had talked about, in paradise, the Prophet ﷺ talked about such things where he talked about the palace granted, the Jannah granted to Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. She has a palace in paradise carved out of a singular pearl. It is 30,000 feet high. It has 70,000 rooms inside of it. And at the door of each room, there are 70,000 angels welcoming the inhabitants of this paradise. That that's the Jannah that awaits. The Prophet ﷺ said that he saw in paradise, A brick of gold and a brick of silver, and the cement in between them was musk. The Prophet ﷺ said, Like the Quran says, Rivers and streams of pure, clean water that doesn't smell bad. Rivers and streams of milk that never go bad and sour. Rivers and streams of the pure wine of paradise that is not intoxicating, it is not damaging. And rivers and streams of pure honey. And the Prophet ﷺ said, I saw things that no eyes have ever seen, no ears have ever heard, and no mind, no heart can imagine and comprehend how magnificent and glorious and remarkable it is. And the Prophet ﷺ was shown a glimpse of hellfire. And the punishment, the horrors that await the people who defied Allah, 
Specifically, the Prophet highlighted a lot of the things where people inflict dhulm upon one another. Where he talked about that there were these scissors made of iron that were heated in the fire until they were red, glowing. And then people's tongues were yanked out of their mouths and they were severed with, that, with those scissors over and over and over again. He said these were the people who used the tongue that Allah gave them to assault and to attack the honor and the dignity of their fellow believers. May Allah protect us all. May Allah forgive us all. The Prophet ﷺ descends back down to Al-Aqsa. And from there, he rides the Buraq and Jibreel ﷺ accompanies the Prophet ﷺ back to Mecca. When the Prophet ﷺ arrives back to Mecca, it's still nighttime. But it's very close to Fajr time. And the Prophet ﷺ is just so invigorated and, and just so overcome with excitement and joy for what he has just experienced. This is the most remarkable experience any human being has ever had. And the Prophet ﷺ rushes out of his home and he's headed to the haram. And at this moment, the Prophet ﷺ, he runs into Abu Jahl. And Abu Jahl says, why are you so excited this early in the morning? And he said, I had the most miraculous experience. He said, what was that? And the Prophet ﷺ starts to tell him. And Abu Jahl, being the troublemaker that he was, he says to the Prophet ﷺ that, wait, wait, wait. Don't talk about it yet. Let me gather the people together. Everyone should hear this. And the Prophet ﷺ enters the haram and Abu Jahl goes out into the street and he starts corralling people together, sending them into the haram to create a crowd, to make a scene. And at that time, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu is headed that way. And Abu Jahl sees Abu Bakr and he says to Abu Bakr, have you heard what your friend is saying? And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu says to Abu Jahl that you are a troublemaker. I don't trust a word that comes out of your mouth. But, and then Abu Jahl tells him that he says that he went from here to Bilad sham and from there he went to the heavens and all this. And Abu Bakr says to Abu Jahl that I don't trust you, but whatever he has said, I accept it absolutely without doubt. And Abu Bakr enters into the haram to be there with the Prophet ﷺ. Now when the crowd has gathered around, Abu Jahl tells the Prophet ﷺ, tell them what you were telling me. And the Prophet ﷺ starts recounting the events of Al-Isra'u al-Mi'raj. 
And one of the individuals there, one of the leaders of Quraysh, Mutim bin Adi, very interesting figure because he was not Muslim. He did not become Muslim before he died. But at certain moments and occasions, he had shown some empathy for the Muslims when they were being oppressed, like in the boycott. He says to the Prophet ﷺ, like he curses him. He says, why are you insulting our intelligence? You expect us to believe all this? And Abu Bakr anhu immediately jumps to defending the honor of the Prophet ﷺ and he says, how, spare, how dare you speak in this vile way to him? Watch your mouth. And then Abu Bakr anhu moves up, sits right in front of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ finishes narrating the events of the night. And that's when some of the leaders of the Quraysh, they start to challenge the Prophet ﷺ. And they say to the Prophet ﷺ that, okay, if you say that this is what happened, then let us test you. We have some people here who have been to Al-Aqsa. Because the, the Quraysh, they used to travel for business to Bilad al-Sham. We have people here who have been to Al-Aqsa. So why don't you describe Al-Aqsa to us? And these people will confirm whether you're right or wrong, like the architecture or you know, the structures and the layouts and all of that. Now the Prophet ﷺ was there in the middle of the night experiencing miracles, leading all the prophets in prayer. He wasn't there to study the architecture. So the Prophet ﷺ said that I didn't know where, what to say to them. And at that moment, the Prophet ﷺ says that Jibreel ﷺ came down right in front of the Prophet ﷺ. And in one narration, he opens a wing of his and projected onto his wing was the whole compound and the layout of Al-Aqsa. And Jibreel starts pointing at things, zooming in, pointing at things. And the Prophet just starts describing what he's looking at. There's a structure here. It has this many doors. It has that many windows. It has these kinds of arches. This, that, that, this. He starts describing in detail. Remarkable detail. Mind-blowing. They don't even know what to do with this. They're all baffled. They're speechless, flabbergasted. And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, so remarkable, every detail the Prophet provides, there's a structure here. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is sitting right in front. He says, Sadaqta. You are correct. You have spoken the truth. You speak the truth. And then he describes something, he says, Sadaqta. He describes Sadaqta, 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 Sadaqta. He starts echoing everything the Prophet says by saying, you speak the truth, you speak the truth, you speak the truth. The Prophet pauses, he turns to Abu Bakr and he says, Anta Siddiq, you are the truthful one. Your faith is true. Such support and conviction for the Messenger of Allah That's what made them special. That was their iman. Then the Prophet ﷺ is not finished. The Prophet ﷺ then says that on my journey back, 
very strategically, Jibreel السلام, slowed down and showed the Prophet السلام, that there is a caravan of the Quraysh coming back to Mecca. And they were searching in the area for their camel that had gotten lost. And the Prophet could see from the air, from the vantage point, where the camel was, that it was in the valley over. So the Prophet says, you have a caravan that is on its way back to Mecca. They're like, okay, we all knew that. That's not a big deal. And he says, they, are, they have been delayed because their camel got lost and they will all eventually find their camel in the valley over. They say, okay, we'll see. They say, how far is the caravan? And the Prophet said, it should be arriving by the end of the day today. I'm going to fast forward here for a moment. That caravan got more delayed than the Prophet expected. They were on their way back. Evening time was approaching. And if the darkness started to come in, Maghrib time, they can't travel in the dark. They would have to stop and camp out before they reach Mecca and then come into Mecca the next day. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, authentic narration states, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala extended that day. So much so that the people in Mecca started freaking out after a little while. Isn't this like really long? Like why won't this day end? What, is it just me or it just feels like the day is really long? They just started feeling like this is not normal. They don't know. That's how they tell time. But Allah extended the setting of the sun. Extended the day. Until the caravan arrived. And as soon as the caravan arrived, all the people that had heard the Prophet say this, they rushed to the caravan and they asked them that what happened? And they said, yeah, we would have gotten here earlier, but we had lost one of our camels, and it had a bunch of the merchandise on it. So we were looking for it. We couldn't just leave it behind. So where'd you find it? And they said it was in the valley over. Oh, no. And then they say, we were sure we wouldn't make it today. But I don't know what happened. It seemed like the day would never end. We just kept getting more and more daylight. So we kept on going, and here we are. Subhanallah. And this way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fulfilled that proof from the Prophet And the Prophet wasallam. this was the morning time. Later that day, when it was time for Dhuhr, Jibreel came to the Prophet and then Jibreel alayhi salam, this is a famous narration called the Hadith Imamat Jibreel, the Hadith in which Jibreel alayhi salam led the Prophet within prayer. And then for two days straight, starting with that Dhuhr, all the way through the Fajr of the next day, and then the Dhuhr of the next day, all the way through the Fajr of the third day, Jibreel alayhi salam led the Prophet in the prayer. 
showing the Prophet ﷺ the timings of the prayer. On the first day, the first go-around, they prayed at the beginning time of each prayer. And on the second go-around, they prayed at the end time of each prayer. Demonstrating, therefore, what we call mawaqitu salah, the timings of the prayer. And so one of the most important lessons of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj is this gift of salah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted. That when the Prophet wasallam's heart was so heavy, and he had been through so much, of course Allah called him on this miraculous journey and showed him everything He showed him. لِنُرِيَهُ مِنْ آيَاتِنَا الْكُبْرَى All these remarkable signs. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the gift of the prayer. That you can have the same exact experience every single time you stand up and pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you enter into a conversation with Allah. That's why the Prophet said, The coolness of my eyes, my peace, my tranquility, my serenity was placed within the prayer. As soon as the Prophet was dealing with anything, anything came up that was upsetting, that was distressing, the Prophet would at once immediately go to the salah, go to the prayer. The Prophet told us, he reminded us time and time again, that this is your opportunity to be able to talk and connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave this entire gift to the Prophet at the most difficult moment of his life. Because within our greatest difficulties and hardships, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places our greatest blessings. That there are remarkable things that are experienced by those who believe, even in the midst of tragedy. That when the whole world had turned against the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took him on this miraculous journey to meet all the Prophets and then to be in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's a very powerful reminder for us that in the most difficult of moments, that is when we are to have the greatest strength. And we can only find that strength by turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by connecting to Allah, that we never despair. But we only become stronger in our convictions. And there's a particular narration that really is, subhanAllah, so powerful. It's a hadith of Bukhari. And also a hadith in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad. That on the night of Isra al Mi'raj, when the Prophet was being given a tour of paradise. The Prophet heard footsteps. He said, Ya Jibreel, what is this? And Jibreel said to the Prophet, This is Bilal. When he walks on the earth, his footsteps echo in the heavens. And the Prophet ﷺ said, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ بِلَالٍ 
Bilal is successful. When the Prophet ﷺ returned from the journey of Isra al-Mi'raj, he actually, the Hadith of Bukhari and Muslim says, he asked Bilal, Ya Bilal, حدثني بأرجى عمل عملته عندك في الإسلام منفعة Tell me what you do that is so remarkable and special. فإني سمعت ليلة خشفنا عليك that I would hear your footsteps in the heavens بين يديك في الجنة. Bilal رضي الله تعالى عنه he said ما عملت this is a man think about who Bilal رضي الله عنه is this is a man who is dragged through the streets of Mecca. This is a man who was tortured within an inch of his life on a daily basis. This is a man that the people that would beat him, that would torture him, that would brutalize him, would become exhausted from torturing him. But he would never get exhausted of saying, Ahadun Ahad, Ahadun Ahad. And not giving up his iman, not giving up his faith. There was an out. Allah says in the Quran, That if somebody is tortured to that point, where his life is threatened, he can say what his torturers want to hear, to spare, to save his life, as long as he still has his faith in his heart. That concession exists. It's in the Quran. And some sahaba took the concession because they needed to. Bilal radiallahu never took that concession. He said, no. Somebody has to shout. Somebody has to let them know. Ahadun ahad. Non-stop. He made the hijrah, the migration from Makkah to Medina. From the day that he arrived in Medina, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I am in your service. And he never left the side of the Prophet ever again. If the Prophet was about to leave the prayer, Bilal was calling the Adhan. And so the Prophet this man, he says, what do you do that I hear your footsteps in paradise? He said, مَا عَمِلْتُ عَمَلًا فِي الْإِسْلَامِ أَرْجَى عِنْدِي مَنْفَعَةً The thing I can think of, Ya Rasulullah, مِنْ أَنِّي لَا أَتَطَهَّرُ تُهُورًا تَعْمًا Whenever I lose my wudu, I go to the restroom, I lose my wudu, or I wake up from my sleep, I do a proper wudu, a good wudu, فِي سَاعَةٍ مِنْ لَيْلٍ وَلَا نَهَارٍ Regardless of the time of day. إِلَّا صَلَّيْتُ بِذَلِكَ الطُّهُورِ مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لِي أَنْ أُصَلِّيَا And then, after performing that proper wudu, tuhur and tamman, I then go, stand, and I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even if it's not time of the fourth prayer, I'll pray time, I'll just pray. Pray two rakahs for Allah. I'll pray some nafil. I'll pray something extra. But that is my routine. That is how I live my life. That is how I have organized my life. That is what I have prioritized in my life. Again, prayer. And the Prophet said that this is that deed. This is that deed that gives you that honor and elevates you to such a status. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
grant us the ability to be able to pray and to fulfill our prayers, to be able to pray on time, to be able to pray regularly, to make prayer what our life revolves around. And that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make that prayer our source of serenity and tranquility. May Allah make it the coolness of our eyes. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be committed to this prayer and this salah. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from ever taking this prayer for granted and ever being neglectful of our salah. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. So this was just a, a short snapshot of Al-Isra Wal-Mi'raj, one of the most remarkable moments of the life of the Prophet and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided such strength for the Prophet at the most difficult moments of his life and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave that gift of salah and we have the ability to be able to access that same strength today by again committing ourselves to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you know whenever we have an opportunity to gather like this to learn and understand our history. This is our tradition. هَذِهِ مَآثِرُ وَآبَائِكُمْ This is your heritage. The, the Sahaba, they used to tell their children, هَذِهِ مَآثِرُ وَآبَائِكُمْ This is your heritage. فَلَا تُضَيِّعُهَا Never lose it. Never lose it. And that's why it's so important. Right? And we've always, alhamdulillah, had these kind of events and inshallah we will continue to have these kinds of programs that whenever we come upon that moment in the Islamic calendar, the lunar calendar, the Hijri calendar, which is the occasion of one of these major events from the life of the Prophet inshallah we'll make it an opportunity where we can gather and we can remember um, the lessons and the benefits and the wisdoms within these particular Moments from the life of the Prophet um, Also, whenever we learn, we get the opportunity to learn a small snapshot from the life of the Prophet It should increase within us a desire to be able to learn more and more about the life of the Prophet Because the life of the Prophet is a gift that keeps on giving. It's an endless treasure given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I encourage everyone that pick up a seerah book, go listen to the, seerah, the series on the seerah, the life of the Prophet and keep increasing your knowledge. The, the, the scholars, the generations of the past, going all the way back to the generation of the tabi'un, the children of the sahaba, even the descendants, the family members of the Prophet the al bayt they used to have this practice of they every year would go through a revision, a discussion, a study of the life of the Prophet Because the facts don't change, but we change. And no matter what's going on in our lives, what's going on in the world, what's going on with the Ummah, we will always find renewed lessons and insights and wisdoms, gems that we can benefit from in the life of the Prophet So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq and ability. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullah khairan. Barakallah fikum. Inshallah we're going to have Salat al-Isha at 8.15. Unless timing has changed. It's still 8.15.